0: No matter who you are, no matter how you found Nihilus, you will not buy our product without using it.
1: That's Mallory Lee, the VP of Revenue Operations at Nihilus. She and her team are all in on product-led growth. And the crazy thing is, is that they've dumped PQLs while doing it.
0: Our goal is to get you into the product no matter what. So everyone should be a PQL. I don't care how we met you. I don't care when or why. My goal is to get you to come use the thing because I know if you use it, you'll buy it.
1: Instead of focusing on PQLs, she's using her user engagement to identify users most likely to bring high returns with the ultimate strategy of getting those users on their enterprise level. In this episode, she's going to tell us how and why she's doing that, how her team is tracking success, and we'll do a deep dive into our overall stack that's powering everything. She's also going to tell us the big name tool she's likely to drop because it lacks the capabilities of doing their PLG go-to-market strategy. And for all of those not familiar with PLG, product-led growth. I'm Dan, the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw. Each week, I get to speak to executives and find out the growth strategy they're using and the stack they're using to drive their business forward. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, though. I want to make sure you get updates about every episode. Let's jump into Mallory's episode.
0: Hello, my name is Mallory Lee. I work at Nylas and I am the VP of operations there. Thanks
1: for being able to join us today. I'm excited to be able to chat. You know, revenue operations is a hot topic for us a lot. And ultimately, everything when it comes down to the stack. So excited to be able to chat with you. Now, I'd love to just better understand a little bit about your background. Like, how did you become a VP of revenue operations? Because it's, it's kind of like a new thing. So it's like, what's the step that you took to get there?
0: Yeah, I actually came up through the marketing side, which I'm a big fan of. I don't think it's quite as common, but it's been a really good foundation. So right out of school, I was a marketing analyst, just running Salesforce reports all day, did a lot of marketing operations roles, and then I led marketing for a little while um, as like a VP of marketing at a startup. After that, I started to take the turn toward revenue operations at Terminus, once I got to Terminus, they already had that unified revenue operations model. And I really got to see um, the benefits of having that unified team, fell in love with that, and the rest is kind of history.
1: VP of revenue operations, revenue operations in general, right? Like in every company, it's very, very different. I see a good amount of people who come up from the sales operations side, even the sales side, that then go into a rev position And in those types of companies, RevOps is focused more on sales strategy, sales tactics, sales playbooks, and all that stuff. And they kind of oversee marketing operations as well. However, in some companies, I see this like marketing folks that come up into the path, marketing ops, marketing leadership, then they go into a RevOps thing. And a lot of those cases, it's not as sales strategy focused. So I'm intrigued to understand like, what is RevOps at Nihilus for you?
0: yeah for us, I really do believe that we are pretty balanced and that's important to me. So we have a dedicated leader for marketing operations, a dedicated leader for sales operations and customer success. We've got those grouped together and we've got about four people that I would call sort of like your true revOps practitioners. and then we have two guys who are managing our salesforce and systems and the integrated tools there. So the team is about six people plus me.
1: Wow. That's awesome. That's a good size team and everything like that. So when you think about kind of your day-to-day focus, right? Like what are you most focused on on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis?
0: I um, report to our CEO, which has been great. And so I get to be, you know, kind of on that executive team. And so at Nihilus, we think about the future way more than I have at any other company, which I like. And so spend a lot of time with that team. We're also really embedded in the departments that we serve. So I will attend things like our sales forecast call and sales leadership meeting and the marketing leadership meeting. A lot of times I'll have my team members go to those, but sometimes I pop in as well. And really just jumping into conversations about technology and planning. We're in planning season right now, doing some Salesforce brainstorming here and there all the time. So a lot of fun things going on.
1: I love it. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full and you cover a lot. And I, I am very intrigued by this kind of future-looking thing. So I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that when we come back. But I guess, what does Nylas do?
0: Yeah, Nylas is a communications API platform. People that have a software product would use Nihilus to build a feature that allows their product to integrate to someone's email or calendar, or their contacts as well. So if you think about somebody like SalesLoft, they are one of our customers. They use our API to help deliver your emails that you send through SalesLoft. It's like you work with us to build the feature that goes and gets the email, and displays it in the tool, and does the stuff to send the stuff. But honestly, this is the first time being at Nylas where I'm not the target buyer. Most of my entire background was in marketing technology where I was like the expert practitioner and buyer. And nowadays, I am not. So it's a whole new world. I've learned a lot, but it's very technical.
1: So it sounds like y'all sell to like your ICP is more of a developer or a CTO, head of product kind of person.
0: Correct. Yeah. Engineering and product.
1: Yeah. I was the head of marketing at a company called Codeschool.com. And that was the first time I ever had to sell to developers. That is one of the hardest marketing jobs, period. If you have to sell developers, like developer evangelists, like they are worth their weight in gold because like you need them to be able to sell to a lot of developers. I'm curious, like, do you have a developer evangelist program that's like helping on that front or
0: we do. We have a developer relations team and they're kind of marketing adjacent. They sit actually in our product group, but they work super closely with marketing. They go to events, they do hackathons, they are building a cool community right now. It's kind of still in stealth mode, but they're working on that and they are they're awesome. Like you said, totally necessary. And developers, what I've learned is they really don't want to talk to you. So, it is a very different approach to, you know, giving them exactly what they need to try the product and and see if it's going to work for them, but Keeping enough distance where you're not pissing them off.
1: (laughs) Totally agree. You can't market to a developer. You can't advertise to a developer and you can't sell to a developer. Like they do not want to talk to you. Totally, totally understand the conundrum. I've had to learn that, that model and was luckily very successful in it. So I, I totally understand the hardship. Nihilus, of course, you had mentioned that you're in kind of planning mode. I know that the time we're doing this interview, it's January 2024. So we're doing planning, I guess, like when you think about like the company's goals, or even your major KPIs that you're focused on, what are some of the goals or objectives y'all are tracking towards for this year?
0: We are at the very end of our fiscal year, so it'll reset in February. So we're kind of in that home stretch of Q4. But this does go back to the long-term thinking or like future thinking that I was talking about. We have a really cool process at Nihilus where we have four major KPIs. Every single week, the executive team comes together and we forecast those KPIs for the next four quarters out. We got this model from one of our board members, Kevin Kimsa. He is like a master at this. And what I love about it the most is that it forces us to truly think about the future and really think about what is changing in our business or the market that will impact us later. And it causes you to just really be thoughtful about what's coming. So those major KPIs for us are incremental ARR. And then the number of new logos we're signing on. And then net retention, that is the KPI that I own. And then the last one is gross margin. So those are kind of like the four drivers that, you know, executive bonuses are based on and a lot of our planning ladders up to improving those metrics But of course, across the different teams, we have other KPIs and leading indicators that ultimately, you know, will feed those big KPIs that we pay attention to.
1: I absolutely love how organized Mallory and her team are. Your ability to be productive as a business has as much to do with being able to stay focused and organized. And meetings are the most massive part of that. Having a good meeting rhythm is crucial. I love Nylas's weekly KPI check-ins being disciplined with a daily, weekly, and monthly review of all of your important metrics prevent you from being two months into the quarter and then realizing, oh shit, Like I haven't even moved the needle. Mallory's responsibility for NRR or net revenue retention is a very good play. NRR is a crucially important metric. For those of you who haven't heard of it, NRR tracks the company's ability to retain revenue from existing customers over a specific period of time and the ability for you to expand those customers' contracts over that period of time. To get your NRR, you take the MRR at the start of a month, you add in your expansion MRR, you then subtract your churned MRR, and then you divide that again by the starting MRR at the beginning of the month. This gives you a percentage. And if you're between a 90 and 100, and you're a newer startup, you're doing okay. But if you're a mature tech company that's in that same range, you better watch out. Between 100 and 110, as a little baby startup, you're doing pretty okay but not amazing. And as a mature company, you're probably still not in that good of a place. Now, when you start to see companies at 110 to 120 NRR, you're getting a little bit more where there's a huge positive sign. However, like you really have to understand where do the true rocket ships sit out there? A really valuable company like Braze is about 125%. But then we got cool companies like Twilio, they're at 155% NRR. That's massive. Even cool companies like PagerDuty are at 139%. And this is really showing that one, they're keeping their customers, but they're expanding those customer relationships at the same time. This makes you know that a business is doing very, very well. They're very profitable and they're sticky with their product that their customers use and people keep buying more of it. Let me put it this way it's the simplest metric to measure to know the true health of a subscription based business. Peter Harris, also known as VCP on YouTube, is a venture capitalist. And in this video, he talked about the importance of NRR, not just from an internal standpoint, but also from an investment perspective.
2: If I see a company that's at least at 125 net revenue retention, then I'm gonna probably sit up a little straighter and pay a little more closer attention. Ultimately, net revenue retention is a very important metric to be tracking, whether you're an investor or you're a company. It'll help you monitor customer behavior, identify different trends of purchasing behavior from your customers, and it'll help you make better data-driven decisions about pricing, product development, customer retention efforts, et cetera. And by focusing on improving NRR, you will get more visibility into your future revenue, make it more predictable and more stable. It will also be a good indicator of like, hey, we're moving in the right direction from a product development standpoint, as well as from a retention and inside sales perspective where you're helping your customer not only just come on and use a product, but expand it within their business.
1: I want to add something to what he just said. While NRR is a great way to measure the success of how your business is doing because your customers are sticking and expanding, your sales strategy and like the way you, how you sell your product has a huge impact on your NRR. Let me give you a little secret here. If you have a super complex product and you try to force every customer to buy every feature, every SKU of your product on day one, and then at the renewal, they've only used one of the four SKUs, one of the four features you sold them, well, this leads to churn and downsizing and it's going to kill your NRR. However, if you allow people to buy one SKU, you don't get greedy on that front purchase, and then you enable that customer to gain value from that one SKU, the one feature, then at renewal, they love you, and they can now see the value of the other features, and of course, expand. And this helps your NRR. Now, if you have good NRR, you're investable, and your company is healthy. If you have bad NRR because people are downsizing, you're not as investable, and it makes it really, really hard to grow your business because you can't get funding. Now, another hack to this is something that I don't tell many people, so don't give my secret away. But if you give people upgrades to certain features of your product for free for one year, and then as well as for two years for maybe signing a two year contract, and you focus a lot on getting customer success to enable them in the first SKU which they paid for, then halfway through their first year, they're getting completely baked in and seeing the value from it. When it comes to renewal in year one, they're probably going to start paying for that feature you gave them for free, because they are now baked in and see the true value of the second feature, which means that you automatically have NR NRR built in. And on top of that, if you have a multi-year contract and you gave them one free product in year one, and then of course you gave them another free product in year two, this means in year two, as you get them onto that new feature in their second year and you get them baked in, this means in your third year of your contract, when they stick around, you're going to also have another expansion built right into it. And this is a, an amazing way to improve your NRR over and over and over again. Long story short though, don't be greedy on that first deal and allow people to get baked into your tool. All right. That's enough of me. I talked a lot there. Let's get back to Mallory and learn a little bit more about what she's doing to drive NRR in her business.
0: Yeah, so first I would say it's really cross-functional and just having the insight into the different pieces of the formula itself are really important. The formula is going to include how your retention is performing, how your expansion is performing. The growth of the base without any new logos is the annualized net retention that we look at. With that said, even if your new logo ARR performance comes in differently than you expect, that can impact your net retention for the following quarter because your base is different than what you thought it would be. So in forecasting NRR for the future, I still have to put a new business forecast in there in order to understand where I think the net retention will land. So it really does require visibility into the entire business, which I think is one of the strengths of revenue operations. The projects though, those are really focused on retention and expansion. So for us, our product has a usage-based component and the way that our customers grow is that when their product gets more users, they have more people connecting in through our API, and that's how they grow their volumes. So for us to make our customers successful means that their business is growing and we are contributing to that. Understanding which customers are starting to increase those volumes, Paying attention to their product roadmap and understanding where they are in the process of rolling out features is really important for us. So having those good customer relationships that are so necessary for retention also helps us understand how customers are going to grow. Additionally, some of our customers use uh, the email API only, and we've got an opportunity to maybe expand them into the calendar API. So we're always trying to work with them to understand what the future holds, and that's a big part of the process. But the projects that we think about really specifically are increasing their ability to use the product, making it easy, making it quick and easy to grow, faster authentication, easier ease of use, I guess you could say. And then also we pay a lot of attention to our self-serve motion. Um, So we have the ability for people to come in and try the product and buy it on their own with a credit card. And the people who do that, they're on a month-to-month contract with us. Once they hit a certain level of usage, it's going to make more sense for them to grow into an annual contract and talk to our sales team. When they do that, it's actually expansion because they've already been a customer. They're now just becoming an annual contract customer. So one of our big levers for next year is to identify which self-serve customers are getting to the point where... They've proven it works. They've got us in the roadmap. They know how they want to continue to grow. And hey, we think it's time to talk to you about getting on an annual plan. We're working a lot on that right now. Excited to do some email lead nurturing that's really specifically based on product usage to try to get people to adopt.
1: So this self-serve motion, right? This is PLG, Pure through, right? It sounds like a lot of your focus is helping manage that PLG motion, right? Because you talked about like improving product usage, and then that improving product usage for those self serve people naturally lead into increased usage. Which then turns into an enterprise conversation. So, you had mentioned naturally you're doing some kind of lead nurturing programs, which sounds like they're possibly pushing them through that maturity. I'm curious, like when you think about improving product usage, right? Is that really a revenue operations responsibility or is that a product team's responsibility? You're just reporting on those metrics.
0: Good clarification. It's not my responsibility. I think it's definitely the product team who. They're going to try to create the pathways, the projects, manage what makes that happen. For myself, I'm really trying to understand what that will do. I'm trying to use leading indicators to say, is it getting better? Is it not? What impact is it having? And do we think that we are on a track that will allow us to really get that change in adoption and expansion that we're looking for?
1: And when you think about seeing those leading indicators, like what are you using for measurement? How are you seeing what they're doing? And then I guess, what are they using even to impact that user experience in the product?
0: Yeah, so in the product, there are a few tools that we use to help us look at this. Woopra, I know, is one tool that the product team really lives in to understand the click paths and where people get stuck and the time it takes to do certain things. So they're always optimizing that. And... Even though our product is APIs, there is a dashboard that someone would log into to look at guides and to go do some settings and some things like that. They're always optimizing that dashboard experience to try to optimize for conversion and ease of use. For myself, the leading indicators that we try to understand are how many connected accounts are they adding? What's the velocity of that? How often are they logging in? We also have some qualitative questions that we ask them for an onboarding form at the beginning of their session. Even just seeing what people are talking about when they get into the tool, what they're trying to build, it's so insightful. The way that we're doing a lot of this is that we have the product events feeding into Segment, and then we're using Madkudu to take the information from Segment and tabulate it into a score and really pay attention to which product touch points are meaningful. And that's how we're trying to figure out what's the ideal path for someone to take? How can we help them get there faster? If people are getting stuck, how can we help them get through that?
1: It's interesting. One, going back to the Wooper thing, I haven't heard Wooper brought up in a long time. So I'm very intrigued to <laughs> hear the name Wooper again. They used to be a big competitor of ours uh, years ago when I was at Kissmetrics. But I'm actually intrigued also about MadKudu. You know, MadKudu has transformed over the years into different things. Can you tell me a little bit more about like how you're using MadKudu? What is the value it really provides you? Because I think it used to be kind of like lead enrichment, lead scoring, but now it's something different.
0: Yeah, I think they cover a lot of bases, honestly. For businesses that have product focus, it can get muddy really fast because people can come to Nihilist through the get a demo button, through the product, in person at an event. They can come through a hackathon. There's lots of ways to get into the database, if you will. And a lot of people who have that product motion, they try to separate the world into MQLs and PQLs and all kinds of different labels. They're trying to make people fit into a box. And we actually don't believe in that. We don't have a PQL. We just have MQLs. And Whoa, so wait a second. You, can-
1: you don't have a PQL as a product-led growth company? Please nope. tell me more. I want to hear this. Because i this is a debate I get to have all the time. And I so want to hear more. You don't have a PQL. This is intriguing.
0: This is the headline. All right. All right. <laughs> So no matter who you are, no matter how you found Nylas, you will not buy our product without using it. Everyone uses it before they buy it. Whether it is for 10 minutes to get the thing connected and put in your credit card and make sure that you've validated who you are, you've signed up and used the product. A lot of people will use it for free for a longer period of time before they even talk to us, right? There are a lot of ways in but the product is always the gate. And so our goal is to get you into the product no matter what. So everyone should be a PQL. I don't care how we met you, I don't care when or why. My goal is to get you to come use the thing because I know if you use it you'll buy it. And so when we think about MQLs and scoring, we just have one definition. So we've got the fit, which is going to be, you know, the company demographics are you in our ICP? Are you a great fit for us, et cetera? And then we have the product usage component where, you know, maybe some people have no product usage at all and all of their activity has been on the website. That's okay. You might still be a really engaged lead, but you're still not as strong as someone who has a bunch of product usage. And so we really just blend everything together. And the cool part about Mad Kudu is that they have allowed us to do all of that blending and then provided some intelligence to help us see, okay, these are the relevant steps. This request a demo button is just as exciting as someone who adds a user within the product. We're going to score those equally because we've seen that they have their propensity to buy. And so we just have one gate, but we have multiple levels of qualification that are grades.
1: Hmm. So Mad Kudu is enabling you to um, use kind of data science and they probably have AI somewhere in the name. Who doesn't have AI nowadays? <laughs> That's helping you understand what are the touch points at which somebody is going through the process, blending that with kind of your ICP, maybe your product market fit, product usage to then give people kind of a grade right? So is it like an A, B, C, D thing? Is it a 100%, 0% thing? Like how's that grade coming through?
0: Yeah. So the way we did it is the letter grades, I think are across the top and that's the fit. And then the column is going to be like the level of engagement, which is probably like a number or a flame, you know, one of those things. And so it's a matrix. And so we have certain parts of the matrix where if you land in this zone, you're going straight to sales. If you land in this other zone, you're going straight to SDR. If you land in the far away zone, we're just going to do lead nurturing. We're not even going to call you because we can tell you're not interested enough for a phone call.
1: No PQL? That sounds crazy. But is Mallory just being a contrarian here? Nineless is a developer-focused company. And in most cases, for API-based companies that are targeting a developer market, you have to be a self-serve product. This means PLG is not a new strategy. It's just kind of how they do business. Now, PLG is not new. As we all like to say, marketers ruin everything. We take these normal things, sometimes complex things, and then we give it a simple name and it goes ham shit on the internet. And now what has happened is we've taken this long-standing product strategy, freemium, free trials, usage-based pricing, and then we applied this product onboarding process to companies which have traditionally had a demo and been more sales-led. This means that PQL is possibly not the right term for Nihilist because they were never a sales-led, demo-led company. And I think that's kind of what Mallory is stating here. But are they really not using a PQL? Well, I'd say they still have a PQL process. They just aren't calling it a PQL. Their process with Mad Kudu doing lead scoring or scoring is still an identification process for valuable people that sales should talk to. Nihilist is advanced and they have a process in which they have a like a scoring mechanism and a prioritization mechanism for them to understand more valuable or less valuable customers which dictate how sales is going to act. So maybe this leads to us talking a little bit about the like, what the hell is a product qualified lead, PQL? Let's break this down first. All PQL is, is a way of identifying that your ICP is using your product, getting value from the features, and they appear to be a good fit for an upgrade. It's just like lead scoring that generates an MQL or an SQL. And in Nylas's case, they're using an advanced scoring with advanced marketing and product tracking and a lot of sophistication that tells them, hey, this is a good lead. To me, that's still a PQL. But in reality, it doesn't matter what you call it. As long as your team is aligned on what the triggers are, what the activities are, and when somebody is at the point of needing to be talked to, ultimately, what do you call it? And then what do you do? I don't care if you call this person a full-size hamburger or a small cheeseburger. Hold on. Wait a second. I think I'm hungry here. But let me get back to the story. It honestly doesn't matter what the process is, as long as you're doing something that's helping you identify customers that are going to help you grow. Now, let me be a contrarian here. Mallory is saying they don't do PQLs. It is also a good thing because it actually prevents people in their company from applying an industry known term, which is already confusing, and then saying, hey, it is a PQL, which causes people to then say, hey, I've done a PQL before. This is the definition I had. This is what it is. By not using PQL, it actually makes it so their team has something very, very specific. Because at the end of the day, well, she may be saying we don't have a PQL. If she did call it a PQL, and SalesLoft also has a PQL, and then UTM.io also has a PQL, we have to make sure that we're all calling the PQL a different definition. I know I'm getting confusing here, but all of those companies have a different definition of what a PQL is. So like I said, with PLG in the first place, marketers ruin everything by trying to give something very complex a simple name. So for Mallory, not using PQL and having her own modeling system with her own naming allows their team to be even more specific on when somebody is a good lead or a bad lead or when they're a good qualified customer in the process or not. So, I've talked a lot about PG, I've talked a lot about PQLs. I need to go find that hamburger cuz clearly I'm hungry. But let's get back to Mallory and her discussion about how she diagrammed her stack using stackbuilder.com. So, I'm going to pull up your stack really quick here cuz you're getting into some really really cool stuff here and I'm I'm kind of intrigued in regards to like the way this data flow Is actually working because you had mentioned users are coming into the website, but they ultimately could come in from a field marketing event or something like that. So, are leads entering the system more through Marketo, Salesforce, through the website? I assume, like, I naturally the volume's coming through Nihilist.com, but I'm just saying, like, let's say somebody comes from a conference like you had mentioned, are they going into Salesforce or Marketo to start?
0: Usually, it's going to start with Marketo, just about everything starts with Marketo. Even from the product, we send people in to Marketo first, that's where they verify their email address and then they don't get into Salesforce until they verify their email address.
1: Okay, perfect. And then, so like you have somebody come into, you talked about this product led growth. Naturally, those people are coming through the website. You had mentioned they pass through segment and then they're going into Madkudu. Madkudu is adding this grade. And then, of course, like there's a whole other thing that can happen. So I assume Madkudu is like sending data to Marketo and also sending data to Salesforce. Is that kind of how that's configured?
0: Yep. And then Madkudu receives a lot of information from Marketo. To grade their web activity. Love it. Um, so Mad Kudu consumes info from Segment and Marketo.
1: Yeah. And that's what gets, makes it like such a superpower is like, it can really see all of the things, um, which, you know, I think there's a, a great quote from one of my former data scientists years ago. He's like, listen, humans can only think in three dimensions. And when we think about our customers, we have to think about them in like 75 dimensions. So like, we just can't do that. You need data science, you need Python, you need a product to be able to do this. And Mad Kudu was one of the products that we had, uh, we we're talking about way back then, in regards to those types of things. There's another... Somebody called Infer, but I don't think they're around anymore. They got acquired. So I want to kind of change path here a little bit. So you talked about another priority of yours naturally is ultimately NRR. So you're focused on that. There's a lot of different people who are play at that. Product owns kind of usage, onboarding, things like that. And they're using products like Whoopra to kind of do that measurement. And then you're seeing a lot of that data as it passes through naturally segment and into Mad Kudu and you're using some leading indicators to do that. But one of the things that you had mentioned was is When somebody goes through mad kudu, they then get kicked into maybe a lead nurturing thing because they're just not ready for you. And that sounds like that's more in your court. Did I get that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So on our team, our marketing operations leader, he has one guy who is our Marketo admin. And our team has also recently started using inflection.io. We're actually in the implementation right now. So it's new to us, but we're really excited to kick that off. That is what we're going to use to respond in real time to the steps that people are taking in the product to trigger emails back to them.
1: Interesting. So you will take those product not product-qualified people, but people just in the product, <laughs> yep. using MadKudu say, hey, you're not on a high enough grade to talk to an SDR or an AE. We're going to put you in inflection, and we're going to let inflection do kind of lead nurturing here because that's going to work better with segment in MadKudu. Is that kind of the reasoning there? I guess, like, why not do that in Marketo?
0: Yeah, we've struggled with Marketo as it relates to PLG work, you could say, so, from Segment to Marketo to get some of the product usage insights hasn't gone very smoothly. You have to do a lot of like custom behavior stuff, and it's been a bit of a pain. So, long story short, Inflection is purpose built just for this, and they integrate natively with Segment. They catch those behaviors in basically real time. And I want to use Inflection to nurture everyone who's using the product regardless of their level of qualification, because it's going to be able to nurture people who aren't ready. But when you are ready and you just need more encouragement, more coaching, more resources, we can also deliver those things to people. So if they hit a certain quick start guide, that's a really big indicator for us of what they're trying to build and what they want to do. And we can instantly send them more resources on that topic and say, hey, I saw you're going to try to build this thing. Here's an example. Here's a demo. Here's a case study, whatever that looks like. We can send those things to them right away when it's really applicable. Also, if they get stuck somewhere, we can email them and we can try to help them out proactively instead of just hoping that they come back and try again. So again, we're like in the beginning of it. We've got so much that we want to do, but it's not necessarily just for nurture. It's also for like, faster time to value, smoother onboarding, getting them back into the product as often as we can because the data shows that getting into the product more frequently is the number one thing for us to create that buyer.
1: And it sounds like inflection is going to enable you to engage those customers based upon them doing something and then also them not doing something. And I think... You're spot on in the fact of like Marketo was not built for that in general. One of my uh, really, really good friends, Sunir Shah, he used to be the CMO of FreshBooks. And he talked about like the fact that Everybody in marketing is constantly trying to do an action based upon somebody else doing an action and one of the things that we forget about is that we have to remember that a lot of times we should be acting because somebody did not do something and then we also need to realize what is the action that other person is going to take whether we did something or whether we didn't do something and there's certain tools that just don't make that easy like Salesforce and like Marketo so the traditional stack doesn't enable that and it sounds like you have a good stack to set that up naturally segment it sounds like Segment is collecting all of the data. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued because like, it sounds like it's getting all your product data, but is it getting your marketing data, too? Is it getting your CS data? Like, Are you shoving everything into Segment and then maybe downflow into MadKudu?
0: I wouldn't say we're putting everything in there yet. We've got some work to still do to make sure that we know exactly how we want that to go. Now, on the website tracking side and the identity resolution, we're using Segment for that pretty much everywhere that we can, on the CS side of the house, they're more a beneficiary of the product data, just like everything else. And we rely on the Salesforce integration for most of those. So for things like Vitally and Zendesk and Gong and Salesloft and all of that, we're more so just using their connections into Salesforce right now. But I think there's more we can do there. I think that we have some opportunities to connect more things to Segment we're just tackling them one thing at a time.
1: Now you mentioned a tool vitally. I've never heard about this tool. What does this tool do?
0: So super similar to something that you would think of like um, like a game site or what did we have before that? I can't even remember, but they've got a really nice UI, really easy to use, um, pretty simple. And they've got a concept of like creating projects for a customer in their tool. Our team has loved it so far. I haven't used it that much personally, but we've had some really glowing reviews.
1: So it sounds like CS is using Vitally and also Zendesk. Those are more so probably connected into kind of like Salesforce than anything else?
0: Yes, but there is something that happens that connects Zendesk to, you know, engineering and product information as well.
1: Okay, intriguing. Very, very interesting. Man, you got a complex stack. I am having a ton of fun right now. There is so many lines <laughs> on this diagram. I don't even it looks like. An octopus exploded. I love this. You're definitely doing some really, really cool stuff. I think the whole thing about no PQL makes a ton of sense. And I love the fact that like you're leveraging a product like Mad Kudu with all of this different data to really kind of like move your users around. I guess like so far, right, when you think about this, excuse me, but spaghetti and meatballs that you have here and kind of a, <laughs> a stack with all these different things. What is the tool that you're like, if this tool left the stack, I might cry? Like, what are you most dependent upon and why?
0: That is a tough question. So even though it's not abundantly integrated, I have become really reliant on Gong. And I think the one that I would be super sad about at this point probably also is Mad Kudu. We've really come to rely on the intelligence there it also gives us a really nice, clean view into the recent activities that have happened in the product. They have information from Clearbit that they license that can help us see who someone really is uh, because developers often want to sign up with a personal email address and, you know, they're kind of like testing things out at home on the weekend. They don't want to give you their corporate email. And Mad Kudu can sometimes identify where they work, even though they don't, tell you right up front. And we try not to really, you know, abuse that or anything, but it helps you have that insight into, okay, we've been trying to get into this target account and look, someone came in. They might not be ready to talk to us because they just put in their Gmail, but we know that's where they work.
1: I could totally understand that. And I think that Mad Kudu is providing a lot of like prioritization, which is like one of the biggest things that you need to focus on in any company, right? There's two quotes that stick out to me from my previous investors. One was if it's efficient and not effective, it's gonna fail. You've gotta be efficient and you've gotta be effective. But from a leadership perspective, to truly run a company, you need to have focus and you need to have good priorities. And if you don't have focus on the right priorities, you're not doing anything well. And I think that's where mad kudu in your situation is really so helpful. But it's awesome the fact that you have it connected with segment. You have it connected with all of these other things because it's really able to do its magical work. And that's enabling you to do kind of your lead nurturing, your lead scoring, things like that. And it's also probably enabling you to be like, I am going to buck this whole PQL thing that everybody wants to be hip around.
0: Yes. PQLs are nonsense.
1: PQLs are nonsense. It's going to be the quote we use for the rest of the day. I'm going to use that. I can't wait. I'm going to use that. All right. So this has been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time and kind of running me through things. I have one last question though. You talked about like what were some of your favorite tools? Like I love Gong. Gong is great from a product standpoint, sales standpoint, marketing support. Like it just does so many cool things. What is the tool in your stack that you're like, man? You know, one of these days, it's probably going to get replaced. Is there something in your stack that you think you're going to, you just don't like anymore? You think the world is changing?
0: I do think the world is changing. Yeah, I think the one for us that is probably the days are more numbered is going to be Marketo. A lot of people love it and I've used it for God knows how long, but I don't think that they really have the number on the PLG stuff. And so... I think for some people, it still makes all the sense in the world, but things now, you just have to be so much more agile. When I think of Marketo, I I don't think of agility. <laughs> I think that they. <laughs>
1: I agree. It's so bad. It's so perfect, though. <laughs> I know. They,
0: they're super great. Like they've been great to us, but I think we need to evolve beyond um, what they can do for us right now. And So whether it's inflection or a combination of inflection and something else, like that's where we're really leaning in. And we just want to be as nimble and responsive as we can to what people are doing in our product. That's the focus, whether it is a customer who needs help in the product or someone who is using it for free and we want them to start paying us like Everything they do in that tool is what we need to care about the most. And when you talk about focus, like that is the thing that we want to focus on. And so our stack really needs to allow us to do that.
1: Yeah. No, I I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think you're spot on. And the team over at Inflection are doing a great job. Aaron and David are both great humans. And they've been there, done that before. So they're really doing something special with Inflection. I have a lot of respect for what they're doing. So, hey, thanks for taking the time. This has been a ton of fun to learn about you, learn about Nihilus, and as well as your stack. So I really appreciate you being here.
0: Yeah, same. Thanks. It was fun.
1: Hearing that Marketo is one of the tools on the out for Mallory is wild. But she's right. And the internet is changing. Marketing has come a long way since that platform was launched. Salesforce and Marketo are still the leaders in the marketplace for now. But realistically, they suck at PLG. And unless they adapt to the changing landscape, they're going to fall behind like many other giants have. In my opinion, companies like Inflection or HubSpot have a much better chance at thriving in the PLG world, but that doesn't mean they're going to dethrone Marketo or Salesforce anytime soon. The success of a tool in many cases has less to do with the facts of the internet and how the internet has changed. It has more to do with how it is baked into a community or ecosystem. So you really want to make sure that you build a community around your product and make that ecosystem so that way your product never disappears. Now let's recap our chat from today. First, those weekly KPI check-ins are imperative for your success. I'm a big fan of having a good rhythm for meetings and reviewing the same metrics every single week. Mallory and her team follow this and it's clear they have their rhythms down. And this is one of the reasons why Nihilus has been so successful. Next, I wanted to highlight again, Mallory is focusing so much on NRR. Getting new people into your pipeline is great, but turning existing customers into high rollers who continuously expand is extremely important. Lastly, despite what many people may tell you, if you're PLG, you do not always need to have a PQL strategy. Like Mallory said, for them, everyone using product is already qualified. For them, they have a custom scoring framework using MacKudu and a matrix that helps them prioritize in their specific manner. We've covered a lot. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to keep improving your skills at growing your company and knowing the stack that will help you build your revenue machine. This is Dan. I'll catch you next week.